Okay, good evening. Thanks for joining. Um, let me just shut this. We are this week is Parsha Shoiftim, and um, on this week's Parsha, for whatever reason, there is no Lakuti Torah. So I thought of beginning a discourse on next week's parsha and uh, doing half today and half Be'ezus Hashem next week Thursday night it's a very very special mimer it's in again parsha's Kiseitze and the mimer is on page 76 you have the copies before you Page 76, that's Daf Lamet Ches, Omid Gimel, on the first side in the th- third column of page Lamet Ches, which is the first column in page 76. Um, in the parsha, in the Pasuk, it talks about um, how Hashem um, did not want to listen to Bilam. And let me see in which context it says it. We will look it up a minute here. In which context this is stated? That Hashem did not want to listen to Bilam. Hold on. Oh, I remember. Okay. So it says over here that you should not allow a person from Ammon and a person from Moab. Any descendant from Ammon and Moab may not marry into the Jewish people. And it says the reason why they should not be entered into the Jewish people was because they were cruel and that when um, the Jews were passing by in the desert, they didn't come out to greet you with bread and with water. Uh, Their descendants of Lot, their family, they should have come out to be to bring you food. Not only didn't they didn't they bring you any food, but they did even worse than that. They went ahead and they hired Bilam, the son of Baor, Bilam, the, the the Gentile prophet, the sorcerer, and they brought him to curse you, to utter a curse. And the pasuk says that Hashem didn't want to listen to Bilam. That Hashem did not desire or want to listen to Bilam. Means Hashem did not give him an, that Hashem did not lend him his ear to hear what Bilam wanted to say. Not only that, that Hashem had flipped over, Hashem had converted, he had transformed as the curse to a blessing. Because God loves you. The Hashem Moshe is telling the Jewish people that this is what they attempted to do. You were saved by Hashem because Hashem loves you so much that he did not listen to Bilam. And uh, he converted, not only that, didn't he listen to him, but he even took his very curses and converted them to blessings. Okay, this is the context of this Pasuk. Now the Altareb is going to talk about this and it's very applicable 
this idea of of Hashem Elokecha during the month of Elul, we begin our preparations for Rosh Hashanah, our serious preparations for Rosh Hashanah. And this idea that Hashem doesn't want to listen to Bilam is not just a one-time event that happened three and a half thousand years ago when the king of Moab hired Bilam to, to curse the Jewish people. But this is, as the Alter Rebbe is going to explain in the discourse, we're going to learn, this is an ongoing thing, especially in Rosh Hashanah, that there is Bilam that comes and tries to prosecute and tries to accuse all kinds, lodge all kinds of accusations against the Jewish people. And Hashem doesn't even want to listen to him. This is very powerful. It goes, this discourse gets into the root of the depth of the relationship that Hashem has with, it, with the Jewish people to the point that he's not even going to lend an ear. Not only does Hashem not, you know, uh, you know, hear the arguments and then debate them and then, you know, and try to find merit to answer the accusing angels. This, you know, the, because the, the, the Altareb is going to explain who Bilam is. That Bilam is not just a one-time human being who lived then. Bilam is a certain energy that found its way into the man, Bilam. And that's when it was incarnated in a physical human being in this world. But it's a constant energy that exists, very dark energy. And its whole, its whole, its whole purpose and its entire being and its, all, its ambitions and its thrill and its delight is to find fault in Israel. To always dismiss. And even when it's, we're going to see in a moment, even when there's no obvious bad, if there is bad... There are people who like to point out the failures of the Jewish people. Uh, in the world you find that whenever there is some kind of a something that happens in Israel where someone acted a little bit out of line, they try to pump it up. You know, like when extremists in Israel do something. It's like as if everybody, they take it out of proportion, the New York Times and others, to make a big deal about it, that they could look, they're like the, like the Arab terrorists. So you find people that marvel in finding fault on Israel. So we have that. Sadly, we have that within the Jewish people as well. When a person has a negative eye in another person, when we look at fault, when we try to criticize communities or people, sometimes we find that people always dismiss every good that anybody does and to try to dismiss it. That's, that's Bilam. That's looking with a bad eye, trying to find negativity on people. That shouldn't be what we're... We're supposed to always look for the merit in each other, find the good in each other. Bilam had an evil eye. And that Bilam darkness, that Bilam exists both in the physical down here, it also exists in the spiritual realms above, that there are accusing angels, that that's what they're all about. And especially in Rosh Hashanah, they come marching on the courthouse. They come marching up in front of Hashem to try to find all kinds of, of, of accusations, both to find sins and faults about Israel, and also to find that even in the good that we do, that there is ulterior motive, people are doing it for a good name, always to dismiss, always to dismiss anything people do. Sadly, it's, I see, we see find the nature in people that when they hear someone did something good, they dismiss it as for whatever explanation they can give why this person did doing so and so. Ah, they're just doing it because of this, or just doing it because of that. It's a very, very, very terrible thing. That's a bilam. That's a bilam thing. So it says over here that not, that Hashem doesn't 
simply means he didn't listen to him. But if it just means he didn't listen to him, he didn't listen to his curses, it should have said, that God didn't listen to Bilam. It doesn't say that Hashem didn't listen to Bilam. It says, that Hashem didn't even want to listen to Bilam. He didn't want to listen to Bilam. So what does that mean, he didn't listen to Bilam? It means he didn't even give him an ear, even the slightest chance. It's one thing not to listen. Meaning you want me to curse them, I'm not going to curse them. It's another thing to say, to Hashem doesn't even listen, doesn't, doesn't even hear. Why? I, Bilam, might have good arguments. The Satan might have good arguments when he comes to prosecute, when he comes to accuse at least let it hear, and then you'll you'll find you'll 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 uh, what you say in Yiddish you'll slug it up you'll refute his arguments. Hashem doesn't even want to hear. What does that show? He's going to explain. It shows on a fanatical love. That Hashem has a fanatical love to the Jewish people, and when someone loves someone fanatically, meaning fanatically means that you don't have any reason. It's, an, it's literally a biased kind of a love. You don't have any reason. You love someone be, just because you love them. And it's completely beyond all explanation. And therefore, I don't want to hear. I don't care. Whatever you want to tell me why they're not deserving, I don't care. Because I don't love them for a reason. If I love them for a reason, you can argue whether they're deserving of the love or not. You can argue the reason. But if my love to them is not because of any reason, and when we say not because of any reason, we mean not because of any reason whatsoever. No explanation at all. That is indicative of, not to love something without an explanation is similar to self-love. We love ourselves not because of any reasons. Not because we think we're so smart. Not because we think we're so good. Because we're so special. We love ourselves because we are ourselves. And therefore, a person doesn't even see. When someone wants to say, if someone wants to criticize you, you really don't want to hear it. You don't, and if they say it, you don't even hear it. Or it gets you very angry. You just don't want to hear. And in the same way, Hashem, when, you love, when a parent loves a child and someone wants to you know, uh, uh, say something negative about the child, the, the parent doesn't want to listen. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. And that is an indication that the love is so essential. That's the love that Hashem has to the Jewish people. It's a love that is so essential, He doesn't even want to hear. But what's so beautiful is the Alter Rebbe is going to explain the reason why God has such an irrational, or what we might say super rational, relationship with us, that the accusation, that the accusing angel doesn't even get into the door. They lock him out, they throw him out, they chase him away. He doesn't even get to open up his mouth, which is so gewaldic to learn this before the Shoshana. This is what the Jewish people need now. We need this idea, this, this fanatical love that God should have for Israel to bring Mashiach. He's not even want to hear, get out of here. Like, but he's going to explain that the reason why God loves us fanatically, that's the reason. There's no reason for it. It just is. But it's because we love him fanatically too. And he's going to explain how a relationship with him, we can evoke this, 
that Hashem shouldn't listen to any accusing angel, by us also not even listening to any, to any possible um, um, argument or any possible suggestion that we should, that we should, um, that we can, that we should disobey Hashem. Sometimes the Yetzirah comes to us and tries to convince us to do something wrong. And there's two ways to respond. One is rational, and one is a lot with reason and explanation. And when you argue your way through your temptation, you argue your way through your Yetzirah. And one is that you, you, you just say, no, this is not happening. Again, this is not happening. And I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate it. It is just not happening. You evoke the rock-solid Jewish stubbornness of your soul. And you say, nothing to talk about. Why? Because my love to God is non-negotiable. There's nothing to negotiate. There's nothing to talk. And when we and our relationship with God are non-negotiable in our relationship, that evokes, that's not what causes, but that uncovers by Hashem also that level of bond. Because we have to realize that our connection to Hashem is multi-layered and multifaceted. So when our connection to God is all based on understanding and reason and our Jewishness comes from our, our, our rational mind and, and logic, then we, cause Hash- we reflect back that Hashem also loves us with an external kind of a love that's based on reason. See, there's many reasons why God should love Israel. We're far better than the other nations. There's many, many reasons for that love. Many reasons. But that's not what we want to evoke. Because if God's love to us is based on reason, then we are susceptible to the arguments of the accusation of the accusing angel. Sometimes we're more deserving, sometimes we're less deserving. But what we really want to evoke over here is our child, parent-child connection. One that goes totally beyond reason. Now God has that connection with us in his heart of hearts. (coughs) But he himself is not always conscious of that. Just like we are not always conscious of our deepest connection to God beyond reason. So when we, during the month of Elul, evoke within our own hearts, like we say in L'davad Hashem Oiri, we say, To you, my, about you, my heart says, Seek my face, seek my inside, get, get into the panemius, get into my, 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 Find the depth, the inner dimension of my connection to Hashem. And through that, as Panecha Hashem Avakesh, your love to us is also going to be from your panemius, from your innermost. And over there, the klipa has no, stands no chance. That's the, that's the idea that we're going to learn over here. So let's begin. And Hashem did not desire or didn't want to listen to Bilam. And Hashem turned over to for you as a bracha the curse to a blessing. to understand What is the great pella? What is the great wonder? What does it mean? We make such a big deal. Hashem says, Hashem wants to say, you know how I know what I did for you? I didn't listen to Bilam. Well, why would God, God want to listen to Bilam? Bilam was a low life. He literally was a low life. He was a lowly person. 
a despicable human being. The sages talk about all the sins that he sinned. He's just simply a horrible person. Hashem didn't want to listen to Bilam. Okay. And Hashem didn't want to listen to Yasser Arafat. Is that, is that, is that what? We have to applaud God for not wanting to listen to him? He was a, he was a, he was a disgusting human being. So what do we need to make up the whole thing? Hashem didn't want to listen. The Gam also to understand. What does it mean that Hashem converted the curse to a blessing? It's possible to say that Hashem converted a curse to a blessing if Bilam spoke and he said a curse and then Hashem would convert those curses to blessings. But Bilam wasn't even given a chance to speak because Hashem didn't listen to him. And Hashem told him, you're not going to say what you want to say. I'm going to put the words. So it's not converting the curse. He just didn't listen to him and told him to bless. Since he didn't listen to him at all. He didn't give him a chance to talk. If you talk, then you can say, I'm going to convert. But now he didn't even talk. Even though Bilam spoke. But Bilam spoke the words that God put in his mouth. Not like he spoke his words and then Hashem converted it. So what does that mean? In Yenhu, the idea is, we have to understand when we're talking about Bilam, Bilam is not just a simple human being. Bilam, the low, you know, Bilam, who he was, Bilam. But Bilam refers to a much greater element, a more powerful Indian. It's the power that exists within the, within, within the spiritual realms above that are seeking to find accusations against the Jewish people. And how do we find that this is a serious threat? Every year in the month of Elul, we have to think about it. This is a serious threat that there are these accusing forces. And we know that this is so serious that a major part of our Rosh Hashanah, a major part of our Rosh Hashanah um, um, service evolves, of our Rosh Hashanah service, evolves around, around this around um, taking care of these accusing forces. What do we find? The mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is to blow shofar. The sages say that one of the accomplishments of the shofar is it confuses the prosecuting forces. It confuses the satan. It throws him off. off. The sound of the shofar bewilders him. He loses his tongue. Ah. therefore, noitlam shofar Rosh Hashanah we take her shayf in Rosh Hashanah, la arvev ha-kakateger, to confuse the prosecutor. Vuhu, and that is, shemachapis achar avoynes b'nei Yisrael. This accusing force is looking and seeking for sins of the Jewish people. Umedaktik achreyem, and he's looking carefully. He is, he is, he is, um, means he's looking and, um, Specifically, looking, looking into, into the details. He's being exact with them. To find upon them, to find upon them fault. And this is what Bilam is all about. It's a force that is looking to find. Now in Hasidus it says that Bilam was the force, he's the opposite of Moshe. He's the Indian of Das the Klippa, an unholy Das. What's the Indian of Das the Klippa? Das the Klippa is to be able to connect to something, das means connection, to be able to connect to something and sense out and find even the most subtle tease of something. 
It's like... Holy das means to connect to someone else, right? To have a, a bonding, like a deep bonding. And when you have a good das, a positive das, you bond with someone. And because of the bonding, you can sense certain powerful and wonderful characteristics of that human being, which brings you to love them even more. It's like the more you bond with someone, you can sense their, the, the beauty of their soul, the goodness of their heart. Like a lot of people know... Well, there's a lot of good people. Baruch Hashem, there's so many good people. But, but, you know, people in the community know this person. Oh, this person's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's just a good person. Yeah, but then there, is, then there is that person's best friend or that person's spouse who knows the person deeply and they know the depth of that goodness. Not just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this guy is a very nice person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I deal with that person every day. I know how really good they are. I know the depth of their kindness and their goodness. Right? That's called the das. It's a good das. But then there is another kind of a das. There is a das in which someone gets to... It's the same idea. Das is bonding. And when you bond someone, you recognize them and you know them. But your intention in knowing them is always to find, be critical of them. And always find fault in them. And in anything they do, you're looking to find, even when they're doing good things, you're looking to find, eh. It's very bad when you're in a relationship with a person that has an unhealthy power of das. A negative das. It can drive you nuts. It can make you crazy. It can kill you, literally. To be stuck with a bilam, kind of a person. So a person always looking for, for, to criticize, always looking to, for the negative. Bilam in general is the, is the person who is the seeker of faults. He looks, he has such a good sniffing, he can smell a rat a mile away. Even if you have a ton of good, he can find, let's say you, find, you have someone who's always doing goodness and always being kind and generous and, and mitzvahs, and, it, and yet you have this person who can find, uh, you see, I, I know about this about them, I know find some kind of a fault and they blow it up and they make this all about that Bilam was an artist and that's why we find he's going to say I don't know if he says it over here but in the Maimarim that are, are explained this in the Maimar there's another version of this Maimar in Tafkov Samach Vav of the Alter Rebbe and in the Tzemach Tzedek there's a beer on the Maimar in which we find that Bilam took the Jewish people continuously Bilam took the Jewish people and he brought them, I'm sorry, not Bilam. Balak took Bilam and he kept on bringing him to places in which he can see Israel. He brought him to this place, he brought him to this place, and, this place. and Rashi explains that all the places he brought them was places that the Jewish people sinned. And he explains over here in the Mimer that at that time the Jewish people were on their highest, most favorable time. I mean, they had already, even though they sinned a lot in the desert, but really, this is already at the end of the 40 years. So they were already cleansed from the sin of the Maraglim. They were lived with Moshe Rabbeinu for 40 years. They studied Torah. They were at the peak. The Jewish people were in the highest level we ever were at this time. They were tzaddikim. And yet, Bilam had such a nose for evil, such a sense of smell, 
And he was looking to find the subtleties of subtleties of negativity in which he can point out and say, ah, you see, they sinned over here, sinned over here. In all, to sour and to make them, to, to make them, to, 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 to uh, dirty them in front of God. That's Bilam. So again, there's the physical Bilam. And then there are these prosecuting forces that seek to do that. They go to every, even at tzaddik. They look to find in every person fault. And this bichlal is something that we have to realize. It's such a terrible trait. And if we chas v'shalom find within ourselves that evil eye, there's two types of evil eye. One type of evil eye is that, which generally is the meaning of an evil eye, is that you cannot stand when other people are successful. When other people are doing well, it bothers you. It's this kind of jealousy. A person can't stand to see the success of someone else. Someone else is, it's called in Yiddish it's say, um farginer. There's no real good English word in English for that. It's just, it, it like bothers you when someone else is doing well. That's one thing. But here's another thing. An evil eye is you have the, the, the being extremely critical and always finding fault. Now sometimes a person needs to be critical. That's when you are a mashpia. When you are an educator of someone, then it is important that you can, and your intentions are to fix them. And from loving guidance, you do it in the proper way, you can find even tiny, small little things in order to educate. But if you're not that person's educator, and you're not their mashpia, you have no business looking for bad in another Jew, or in another community, or in people. I mean, I see it, I see it a lot. I mean, I, that... <laughs> That itself is the negative. I shouldn't be seeing it. I'm saying I see it. But it bothers me, at least. It bothers me when I see people doing it. Don't look for bad. You know, people are beautiful. Don't look for bad. Find, find the good. There's so much good that people do. It's a bilam. It's a cancer. It's a bilam thing. And it exists also in the spiritual realms above. There are people who make a living out of this. <laughs> the satan, that's what their thing is. To find Lashon Hara. And 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 to and to point it out, This was the derech of Bilam. He wanted to find the place of sin to the Jewish people. He went up to the place of Peor, That's looking out over the desert, over the over the over the haunting desert, and it says over there the point of it was he was looking for sin. He also turned, it says, he turned his face to the Midbar. And Rashi says, he wanted to evoke the sins of Israel. Not only was he looking for sins that the Jewish people did in the past, he was looking for places that the Jewish people will sin. He was able to smell even a sin before they did it. That's how hungry he was for negativity. That's how, right? And this is what Hashem is, what the, the verse is praising Hashem. Even though Bilam had a taina, had a had a legitimate argument, he had good arguments. Alpha You know how frustrating this was to Bilam. You know how much this bothered Bilam, because God did not give him, a, did not did not let him open his mouth. He did. It's not like he listened to him and then he argued and he said the Jewish people don't deserve it. I'm going to argue. I'm going to show you it's not true. I don't want to hear. This teaches us how we are supposed to be. 
If chas v'shalom, anybody wants to point out anything bad on another Jew, I don't want to hear. I don't hear you. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear. That's the meaning of v'loy ova Hashem I don't want to hear. Don't tell me. V'loy ova Hashem Hashem did not want to hear. U'pidi shaloy ova l'shmoya el devar of klal. Didn't want to listen to him. V'loy sheyesh leheshev al devar of tshuva It's not that I can answer you. You know, let's debate. Let's argue. Let me show you that what you're saying is false accusations. Metam v'das ha-musik. That's if, you know, I'm going to deal with this rationally. If you're going to deal with something rationally, Hashem has to give him a chance. B'chalal we know, this is important to know, that the system is that Hashem gives the Satan a right, gives him a, a right to, 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 to bring his accusations. On the regular circumstances, there is Hashem set up a system. Melech b'mishpat yamadar, it's the Abish that runs the world with judgment. And there has to be a fair chance for the, for the, for the uh, DA, the district attorney, the spiritual district attorney to come up and to lodge his complaint, to present the case. That's the usual state. But from time to time, the Abishter shuts the door in the face of the Satan. Doesn't even let him talk. Why? When the Ava Atzmis, when the deep essential love that God has to Israel reveals itself, then he doesn't even listen to him. Get out of here. The Tzemach Tzedek brings, I'm going to show you over here, it's Gavaldi, which I haven't seen anywhere else. He says, so was. He says, There was a story in the days of the Balshemtov. The Satan, the Satan, the Satan that came to, to, to prosecute L'choiv, to find thing, they chased after the Satan. They sent him flying. They went running after him. They didn't want to listen to Kitrug. Like it says, Hashem should scream at the Satan, yell at the Satan, get out of here. So too, in every bad that the Satan, I remember, I'm just, I don't know why this thought is coming to me now. There was a fellow, I'm not going to say his name over here, he's like, he, was a, he was a beautiful Jew, a beautiful Jew. And uh, he, used to, he passed away a few years ago. He was a huge Baltzadaka. Huge Baltzadaka. He had a heart bigger than the world. Like, unbelievable. He helped people, he would take, like, 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 unparalleled. And he was very, very help in helping in, in this center. But he was a very moody person. And you never knew with him what's going to happen. At times, I, I would go to his office, because when I needed help and assistance with the shul, with, you know, with the financials of the, the shul. So I, the way you had to work with him was you, you couldn't make an appointment. You just had to like go above. So the way I would come to his office, I would run past the secretaries, making believe like I had something to go there, because if you come in and the secretaries would stop you, like, are you coming? So I had to like make believe like I'm coming to pick something up and just run through the office, his office was all in the back. And I never knew what to expect. At times, he would see me and his face would light up and he would say, oh, like, oh you, thank you for coming and he would get all excited and sit me down. If it, if it was in a different mood, he would take one look, he would see me and start yelling, how dare you come to my office? Don't ever come here. I told you don't come to my office. He wouldn't even give me a, 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 a chance to put my foot through the door. You know, but I knew the risk. But it was worth it because half the time it worked. 
and 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 it uh, and it would cover the rent for the for the shul for that month. So it, uh, <laughs> but you see that the, the Ebishter, I, I can just imagine Hashem sitting there, and the only thing, <laughs> the only, the only um, image I can have of this of the Ebishter not even letting the satan through the door is as of this man yelling at me and chasing me away from the door. <laughs> I can see like don't even don't even try. And that's what the Abishter does over here. He brings at the time of the Bolshemta, there was a day in Rosh Hashanah that they chased the Santa the Satan away and he went running for his life. Um the when the Satan comes to Yimakatrik, Shem Rabu Hakatrugim if there is an increased, if the persecutions of the accusing angels come a lot, Hashem allows them a little bit, but there's a certain point when they get him angry. And when they provoke Hashem and they get him angry, he stands up and they go running for their lives. That's the idea of v'loy ova. V'loy ova Hashem. Hashem doesn't even want to listen to him. We don't listen to him at all. Believe Tam Vedas without an argument. Um, now, I mentioned that the Tzemach Tzedek has a discourse, a explanation, a commentary on this mimer. So what I want to do is, he, usually in the Kutitari there's Agas from the Tzemach Tzedek. Most of the time it's in the Maimer. In this case, a lot of, there, there is Hagas, meaning footnotes of the Tzemach Tzedek, that are not in the Maimer, but they're in Sefer or Atayra on page Tuf Tuf Kuf Tzadik Hei. And, and I'm going to read these Hagas because they clarify the Indian and they add. Valzem Moira, and as I guess I'm not reading you, what I'm going to read now until I give you further notice is not stated inside your copy, because I'm reading from over here. Valzem Moira Lashen Loyava. This is what the words Loyava indicate. Ratzaloy he didn't have a desire to listen to him. And what kind of will? Loyava, the word Ava comes from the word Ava um, means. It's, 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 it's synonymous with the word ratzon. I, I don't want to listen. I don't want to. There's a difference. Sometimes you, 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 you speak to someone and they give, you their, they give you a listening ear and they'll discuss something with you. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. We all know situations like that. We all have it ourselves, with parents, with spouses. Don't even talk to me. And we know we don't stand a chance. It's like, don't, don't, if, it's like I said, if you're asking me about this, <laughs> ladies must know how to do this. If you're asking me about it, about this, don't even talk to me. It's not even up to negotiations. I don't want. So that's like ova. It's a rotson. And, and what kind of rotson? It's a stubborn rotson. It's a rotson that is pure when you're being stubborn. Not with re- it's when you're, when you're being irrational. And that's later on. Now, irrational is generally a bad thing. Shouldn't a person conduct himself with reason? He's going to explain in this, this, in this Haggah that, no, it depends when. The basis of this idea that Valoi Ava means an irrational desire, 
Vehaviraya, the Orachaim explains it that way. He brings a proof to this. The Kahu Apidish Meloshan Loy Ova. This is the meaning of Orva. Memashakosa Viparsha's Dvarim in Perik Bays, it says over there, Veloy Ova Sichoin, that Sichoin didn't want to let the Jewish people pass through his land. When the Jewish people were trying to go through to the land of Israel, they asked permission from Sichoin. And they promised him that it will be economically very good for Sichon, for his country. Because when the Jews will go by, they will buy and they will do business with them. So economically, it will be very good for, for Sichon. Imagine, you know, a few million people coming by and they would purchase and do business with them. It would be, it would be huge. But Bilam didn't want so it says over there, and the Pasuk explains, Ki hiksha Hashem ruchai, because Hashem stubborned his heart. So what do you see from there? That the word v'loi ava is referring to when someone does something and they can't explain a good reason for it. It's just a plain stubbornness. Like Obama wants this Iran deal. It's such a stinky deal. But he wants it with stubbornness. That's what he wants. It's not like he believes there's any, this is this is there's anything good coming out of this. Stam and Akshanas. So Afapikan, like he says over there, there was no chashash. Afapikan loy ava. He doesn't want machmas ki hiksha because Hashem hardened his heart. Ulamata zau inyan akshus. Down here, it, this is called when a person is an action. It means an action. An action means a person is being stubborn. In Yiddish, you say he's an action. An action. It's terrible when you when you're up with an auction. You know, it's an auction. You can, no matter which argument in the world you're going to give this person, there being an auction, it's finished. There's nothing to talk about. Oh, but it, but he says in this in, in in worldly matters, this is not good. It's not good to be an auction. Why? Because when it comes to matters of this world, a person is supposed to rule his life with his mind. The mind is supposed to be the the final decision maker. Moach shalit, the mind has to rule. Matters of this world are supposed to be all based on a person's seichel. When a person desires something, even though it doesn't make any sense, who akshus, that is called akshanas, and it's a negative thing. But when it comes with God, the only time a person is allowed to be in action, even when it doesn't make any sense, is in religious matters, in Jewish matters. Why? Because you're dealing with your relationship with God. And Hashem is beyond Seichel. God is not an entity of intellect. And therefore, since God transcends the mind completely, our connection to Him also is supposed to really be, and is, as we're going to see soon, connected on a level deeper than the Seichel. Above, there is a type of will that's higher than Chachma, and this is what happened when Hashem didn't listen to Bilam. We also have this in our service of God. Don't listen to Him. There's a Pasuk, I think, in Mishlei, Bini, my son, or in Kehelas, if you're experiencing seduction of sin, Al don't listen to him. What does it mean?
Tam v'tayna, klal. Don't get into it in, in an argument at all. Because when you fight, in other words, when you're experiencing a, when you experience a, um, a negative impulse, a yetzahara to do something, there is the virtue of, of, of fighting it off with a stubbornness. Don't even argue. Because every argument is a form of wrestling. When you're arguing with something, your mind is engaged in a back and forth. You're listening, you're answering. You're listening, you're answering. So just like physically when you're wrestling with someone. So you're, you're, you're putting pressure to throw him down. And then this person is putting pressure to throw you down. So it's back and forth. That's the thing. Argument, counter-argument. Argument, counter-argument. So physically when two people are wrestling, what happens when you wrestle with someone? If the person you're wrestling is full of filth, is full of mud, full of dirt, and you're wrestling with this person, what happens? Then you're going to become dirty as well because you're wrestling. If they smell, if they have a foul odor, and you wrestle with them, you're going to stink as well. Even if in the end you, you defeat the person and you're victorious and you wrestle them down, you're still going to leave smelling. The same is also mentally, intellectually, when you wrestle with, with the Yetzirah and you listen to his arguments and you back and forth, back and forth, Yetzirah is going to rub off on you even if you win. He's going to leave a foul smell on you. You're not, you're not as innocent and as pure as before the argument, even if you want. Therefore, you're much better off doing like this Jew would do to me and not even let me through the door. Don't even try coming here. Get out of here. That's what you say to the Yetzirah. Don't even, don't, you yell at him. Don't even give him a chance. You don't because Hashem is also beyond Chachma. So our response has to also be an irrational one. Okay, now we go back into the mind. The kol kachlama birakasov, and all of this is why the pasuk explains why did Hashem not listen? Why is Hashem not listening? So the pasuk explains because Hashem elokecha. Simply, it's. Who did not listen? Hashem didn't listen. So then, but if that would have been the meaning of the pasuk that God just to tell us who didn't listen, it should have said Hashem el Bilam, that God did not want to listen to Bilam. It doesn't say that God didn't listen. It says Hashem God, your God, didn't want to listen. This is an explanation why Hashem relates to the Jewish people in this way that He doesn't even want to hear. That's because Hashem Elokecha, because God Havaya Yutke Vavke, He is your power. Elokecha, He is your power. Because Havaya Elokecha, because God is your power, in other words, He's going to explain in a minute, because the Yutke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, is within your soul, every single Jew, in, and what does it mean that we have Yutke Vavke inside of us? By us having Yutke Vavke inside of us, we too have this irrational insanity about our connection to God. We too are stubborn. It says about the Jewish people, Moshe says about the Jewish people, Ki am they, are a, they are a stubborn people. God says it. 
And stubborn over here is not a negative trait. Our stubbornness in godly things is also that amazing. It means we are, we too have this, this bonding with God that doesn't make, as we just said earlier, where you don't even want to listen to the Yetzirah. You don't even give him a chance. It doesn't make a difference. All logic and all explanations. My connection to God is so deep and so strong. I don't want to hear. You want to separate me from him? It's not going to happen. Don't even talk to me about it. It's not going to happen. I'm a total crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm a nutcase. I'm literally crazy. I'm irrational. Yes, I'm irrational. I'm insane about my connection to God. That, because we have it, Hashem also has it to us. It's connected. And that's the meaning of what makes that Hashem shouldn't even have a desire to listen? I mean, he doesn't even, doesn't even give him a chance to open his mouth. Is because Hashem Elokecha, because Yudke Vavke is Elokecha, is your power. And you also have that fanaticism in your connection to me. Therefore, my connection to you is also beyond all reason. Just like your connection to me is beyond all reason. And he's going to explain that it's primarily the Yud of the Yudke Vavke. There's four letters of the Yudke Vavke. The Yudke Vavke, the Yud. And in the Yud itself, this fanaticism, this, irra- this super rational bond that a Jew has with God is connected to the Kutzayshel Yud. The Kutzayshel Yud is the thorn that's on the top of the Yud. The unidentifiable, inexplainable power of a Jew to give everything up for God. The bond that a Jew has with Hashem that is deeper than everything. The power of Masiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice, that Jews have displayed throughout our long exile by the masses. It's an irrational attachment that doesn't make any sense. That evokes in God also that His connection to us is beyond all reason. The mimer is further going to explain the Yudke Vavke in our soul. It's going to explain what the Yud is, what the He is, and what the Vav is, and what the final He is. But primarily, He's going to explain what the what then what's most important for us over here is to understand not the yud but the thorn on top of the yud, the kutzeshal yud, the crown of the yud, which is indicative of that dimension of our soul where our connection to Hashem transcends all reason and explanation and all logic. The Pasik explains, why? Because Havaya that's Elo. Elohim means the Lushan power. Havaya, he is your power. The power in the Jewish soul is from Havaya. Mamish. Shebechol nefesh mi Now, not every Jew uncovers this bond. Every Jew has it, but not every Jew uncovers this bond. Shebechol nefesh mi Yisrael yesh bechinaz mishem Havaya. In every single neshama, there is a piece of yutke vavke. Within the neshama, a ray of the yud kevavke, mamish, literally of the yud kevavke, like it says, a part of avaya is his people. Yaakov Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance. That yidden are a chelik, they are a part of an aara, and they are a ray of shem avaya. Since shem avaya illuminates and shines and is present within our neshama. That's why, that's the reason why God doesn't even listen. Because of the Yudke Vavke that's inside of us. And this can be understood in two levels. Number one, we are part of Him. And a person doesn't want to hear criticism on themselves. They don't want to hear an argument, they don't even want to hear it. 
No one wants to hear it. Why? Because you love yourself. And you love yourself beyond reason. A Jew is part of God, number one. Number two, being that we are part of God, the illustration of that is that we too have that dimension to, 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 be, to, 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 uh, to give everything up because of our connection to Him and not to consider anything. Asiras Nefesh, as we're going to see. And now over here as well, I'm going to stop for a moment and, and, and put in another, the next ta'ar of the Tzemach Tzedek. He says this idea that the, that that God did not, does not want to listen to Bilam, doesn't even give the accusing angel a, a, a moment to speak, doesn't even let him open his mouth, chases him away even before he starts. This is what we want. This is what we want, this Rosh Hashanah. We want Hashem to chase the Satan away before he even starts. Hashem shouldn't even want to listen to him. How do we do that? Oh, so he's going to prove that how do we know that the reason why the Ebershter doesn't even want is because Avaya Lekecha, because Avaya is inside of us? He proves it from another Pasuk, the Tzemach Tzedek. This Sukkim that we read now is the story, is in Pasha's Kiseitze, where Hashem is repeating what happened by Bilam. But in the story of Bilam itself, you also have, it says also the same idea. Because over there it says, Bilam himself says, he says, hibit oven God does not look at the iniquities of Yaakov. And Hashem does not see the toil of Israel. Hashem doesn't even look. Bilam is saying, I'm trying so hard to point out the faults of Israel, and God is not even looking at them. He himself says it. And he says what? There too he says. He says, he says, what's the reason why God does not see any faults in Israel? Hashem Eloikov Imoi. Because God, His God is inside of Him, is with Him. So you see the reason why the Ebeshter does not even listen to the Mekatrig is because Hashem, because the Havaya that's Imoi, that's inside the Nisham. Pinish Mipnesh Havaya Eloikov Imoi, because Havaya is God, is in Him. Mamish Alkein Ein Raya Olav Choiv. That's why the Ebeshter doesn't see any kind of... A any kind of a chayv on Yidin, any kind of a, a, of a fault. Al derech, similar to Amram, ein adam roya chayv la'atzmoy. As it sages say, that a person doesn't see any faults on himself. What does it mean? It's not that we don't know it. What do you mean a person doesn't see? It's not like we don't know that we have faults. We all know that we're pretty lousy, and we have a lot of faults. But, just, but we don't want to look at it. We don't, we don't want to pay attention to it. We, we dismiss it. We make it very small, as if it's insignificant. Why? Well, it doesn't occupy any space. It doesn't draw our attention. We don't, we don't dwell on it. A person doesn't even want to see it as something negative. Because the tremendous ocean of love that we have, that a person loves himself, it covers on all, on all sins. The Tzemach Tzedek, by the way, explains in Mitzvah's Derech Mitzvah Secha. I'm sorry. In Derech Mitzvah Secha, Mitzvah Avas, Avas Yisrael, the Tzemach Tzedek says that the main Indian of loving another Jew like you love yourself is that you can't see bad in other people. You don't, you don't, you don't see it. It's not like, and what does he mean you don't see it? He says, just like when you love yourself. You, 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 every, every fault that you have, you dismiss and make it very small. You just don't, you don't dwell on it because it's you. So too you feel so much one with another Jew that you can't see fault on them. It says, 
Because we on him are one. Hashem does not see any fault. Such kind of a will in which you don't consider anything is called will that's, that's higher than intellect, higher than the mind. Usually all our will and desire, see a human being has will and desire, but generally our will is filtered through our, in, our, our mind. And being that we're human beings, we're rational people. So we don't, see if we would walk around all day with pure will that's not based on reason, you know what we would be like? We will be absolute mishagayim. That's a crazy person. What's a crazy person? A person who doesn't have a filter of the mind. Right? So they're, 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 whatever they want, they, they, they're just, it's, just, it's, it's insane. A normal person has a filter, has a sale. Oh, so, but here's the thing. Even though we look at a, a person who, is, who, who doesn't have the filter of reason, of the mind and pure will as a crazy person, but when it comes to a person's own child, we excuse it. Everybody understands that a parent loves their ch- child even if it doesn't make any sense. And it's okay. It's accepted. It's a normal thing in society. Why? Because we understand that as a parent, you and you, who then is supposed to defend their child irrationally if not the parent? It's, it's your child. So of course, your child is the greatest thing in the world. It's my child. Because you and your child are one. Because, so, we have to recognize that our connection to God is also that way. Hashem loves us like a child, and we love Him like a parent. So it's, it's that bond. Okay. Now he continues, beer Inyans and the explanation of this matter. And what is he going to explain? Two things he's going to explain. Number one, he's going to explain um, how, where do we see this Yudke Vavke? That we have within ourselves the Yudke Vavke, every single Jew, including this irrational point of connection, where we're connected to God beyond all reason. Number two, also explaining how do we evoke that Hashem should feel that way towards us. We said earlier that it's not always that case. Rosh Hashanah is not always, it doesn't always work that way that Hashem doesn't even listen to the Satan. He brings Netzemach Tzedek, I told you earlier, Maisa, there was a story in the day of the Balshemta, the Balshemta was able to evoke that. And that Hashem shouldn't even listen, that they chased away the satan. It implies that it's not always that way. Sometimes the satan does get to open up his arguments and start arguing. Then you have a believer, Yitzhak or Bardichev, who stands there and refutes the arguments. He goes and, you know, you have the Malach Michael, who stands on the other side, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's the lawyer, and he's the advocate for Israel. But we don't want that. We don't want even it should be a debate. We want the Abish that shouldn't even listen. So how do we evoke that? So that's why when we work during the month of Elul and we evoke within ourselves our insanity, where our Yiddishkeit is also in a level of insanity, then we cause God to be insanely in love with us. Madness. That's the point. We have to uncover the madness of our soul. And then we cause God also to be maddingly in love with us. And then He doesn't even listen. And the explanation of this matter, in every Jew there is this avahativis. There is a natural love. 
that is founded, we have, every Jew, he says, has an, an innate love. When we mean nature, nature means it's part of the soul. It's who the soul is. It's not something that needs to be acquired. That's the idea. In, in all societies, you have people that are religious and sometimes even seriously religious, deeply religious, deeply engaged. But it's a choice that they make, either because of education, but they've been taught, they've been, and they understand that this is the way of the right that's true and real, and therefore they make that choice. He says that's not about the Jewish people. The Jewish people's connection to Hashem and to godliness is not a choice. It's not something that we choose to do because of any kind of mental cognition and understanding. It's just embedded in who we are. Every single Jew has a, an attachment to God, has a love. How strong is that love? It's the most powerful, powerful love that they have. And we, we, love is not really the right word for it. We call it love. It's really a, a drive to be connected, an attachment that every single Jew has. It's just who you are. Uh, by some people it's more they're more conscious of it and other people it's more concealed and other people it's completely concealed but just because it's concealed doesn't mean it's not there and by every single Jew it's possible for it, for it to be revealed as he says it's in the nature of every neshama and what's the, nat- what's the definition of this love? one thing I want to cleave, I want to be connected, and I do not want to be separated. Shaloi lias nifrad, not to become severed, from the Abish, from being unified and, and attached, of God's unity, not to be separated from the Abishter's achdos. Chazal tell us, so if so, if a person has this essential connection that he must be attached, how can we sin? And when we do an Avera, we're cutting ourselves off from God. That's, every Avera is a disconnect. How can a person disconnect and do an Avera? If the deepest desire of the person, that's stronger than all other desires, is attachment to God, that should override every other desire. So I have a desire for a cheeseburger. So I have a desire to read or to look at so-and-so, which is not kosher. So what? But I have a much deeper desire to cleave and to connect. And by doing that, I'm going to, right, I'm going to... Like a person we all know, know has a desire for, a powerful desire to live. We want to be alive. Now what happens if I know that at the bottom of a deep canyon, a sheer straight cliff, there's this amazing treasure. Oh, amazing treasure. Billions of dollars. But I have to go down the cliff. But if I go down the cliff, there's no doubt I will slip and fall and die. Chas So even though I very much have a desire for money, and for everything the money can bring me, my desire to live is stronger than that. Now, if I can excuse myself and believe that there's a possibility that I'm going to make it, oh, then, they can, then, then I can, oh, I know I'm going to be very careful. Uh, then people do risk, or risk themselves many times to do crazy things. But that's if there is at least a chance and I believe that I can do that but if I know that not, then I'm not going to do that as much as I want to so how can it be that a Jew see for us for a Jew becoming severed from God is death it's even worse than death 
cutting off. So how can a person sin? So the Gemara deals with this. The Gemara deals with it. The Zohar wonders about it. The Zohar says on the Pasuk, Nefesh kisechta, a soul? A soul sins? The Pasuk says, Nefesh kisechta. Every Jew has an Ishama. How can you sin? Ta'avit, it's a wonder. It doesn't make any sense. And the answer is, the sages say, a person doesn't do a sin. The only way a person can ever do a sin is if a spirit of foolishness, a spirit of stupidity comes over them. In other words, there's something, and what is the definition? What does it mean? They become temporarily insane. Come and see. And we all know when a person is insane, they can do things that don't make any sense. That goes against what they themselves want. When a person loses their mind, they can do a they can do something that doesn't make any sense. As we know that what that that's one of the one of the excuses in court in a trial, you plead insanity, and then you're not held accountable for a crime because you, we know that you were going against. I mean, you can plead, but then you have to have psychiatrists and whatever, doctors to come and really prove that's true, that this person was insane. You know, the lady, who was the lady, remember a few years ago, that drowned seven of her children or six of her babies in the, in, in the bathtub? It's against the mother's instinct, against the very basics of being a mother. But person becomes, she heard voices and uh, she had the whatever and she was not snebach. And then she ended up doing something like that. In the same way as when a Jew sins. A total clouding of their mind. It's not who they are. It's against their very being. A ruach shtus goes into a person. But what does the ruach shtus do? So Hasidus explains what the ruach shtus does. It, it, it deceives a person. To tell him. The ruach shtus tells you that you're still being Jewish even though you're sinning. The little thing. Even though the truth is you're not being Jewish. At the moment you're sinning, you're not being a Jew. Because the definition of a Jew means attachment to God. The moment you're sinning, then at that moment you're not a Jew. What is this? And if a person would know crystal clear, if you would say to yourself, before you have a temptation to do an Avera, you're going to say, if you would say to yourself, three, five times, ten times, I am now ceasing to be a Jew. I'm going to do that, and I'm stopping to be a Jew. And say it ten times. I am ceasing to be a Jew. I am not. I'm suspending my Jewishness. I am not a Jew. And guess what? You will never be able to do the Avera. Because you would sense. You cannot not be a Jew. It's, it's essential to who you are. You can't do that. It's that the Yetzirah convinces the person that, wow, that you're still Jewish even though. It's only a detail. It's not like, you know, you're bowing down to the cross. You're not doing that. You're just doing a little, well, big deal. Oh, but here let's understand. So that in the Tzemach Tzedek's Mimer and the, the, the Alter Rebbe's other version of the Mimer, I think they explain it a little, a little more. Put it like this. The Ruach Shtus really is associated with the body. Because when we say the Jew loves God, who loves God? This body loves God or the Neshama loves God? The Neshama. The Neshama is a piece of Hashem. If you had a pure soul, if you come to the neshama and you try to tempt the soul before the soul is incarnated in a body, no matter what kind of temptation you give a neshama, 
if you try to tempt, tempt a neshama with any kind of pleasure, a neshama can feel tr- pleasure. The neshama's capacity for pleasure is much bigger than our physical capacity of pleasure in a body. Imagine a neshama gets tempted when a neshama is not in a body. No matter how sweet and how delicious and how unbelievable bliss and ecstasy you're offering the neshama, in order to do an avera, the neshama cannot sin. Because the neshama knows when it's sinning, it's disconnecting from God and it cannot do that. God to it is, is reality and it cannot disconnect from reality. can't. Oh. When we say that the person sins because of the ruach shtus, it means when the neshama goes into a body, the body thickens our consciousness. It thickens and it thickens and it denses that we don't feel neshama anymore. Our consciousness is not neshama consciousness. Our neshama is, our consciousness is a little tiny bit neshama with a whole bunch of physical consciousness. We're conscious very much our, it's very polluted consciousness. So therefore, the the feeling of neshama is only a very tiny bit, maybe 3% of our consciousness. Since you have such a diluted consciousness of neshama, which the neshama remains attached to Hashem at all costs, the body, therefore, but, but here's the thing. Even with just this tiny little bit, even with this, just this 3% of neshama consciousness that we have, again, of course, that depends on how much we daven. If a person learns a lot of chasidis and we daven, so we expand our neshama consciousness to become 10%, 15%, 20% of our consciousness. We can, if we can quantify it. Okay, I'm giving it then it has more of an effect. But even if it's only like 1% of our consciousness, even if it's just a tiny little bit at the tip of our mind, of the sense that I'm a Jew and I'm connected to God, even then without a deception, you would not be able to get a person to sin. If it would be crystal clear that you're not going to be Jew, you tell a person, here's an Avera, but at this moment you're not going to be a Yid, the person can't do the Avera. Now, but now is where the Ruach Shtus, the deception can come in. And it can tell a person, you know what, you're still Jewish, do the Aver, and since the Neshama is so clouded by the body, it's possible for a person to listen. The proof to this is from many countless stories where you have pers- people who couldn't care less about their Yiddishkeit all their life. It meant nothing to them. But when it came, push came to shove and they came to doing that someone wanted to make them do an Avera where it was crystal clear that they're, that, they're, that they're disconnecting from God. They gave their life up because you could, they couldn't deceive themselves anymore. And they couldn't live with the thought that they would become disconnected. By my daughter's wedding, um, they gave out a little uh, booklet just uh, like for the guests, people that came, a chura. So, in the, in the, so little this anecdotes of the Hassan's grandfather, which he heard. Like he said stories of different tzaddikim and things that he, like a little diary of. So over there, there is a little piece which he, it's, he brings over there that in, in Warsaw, there were Jews that were so far from Yiddishkeit, so disconnected, that on Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, they purposely went and ate pig, ate pork, on Yom Kippur, to demonstrate how much religion doesn't mean anything to them. Yiddishkeit, godliness, holiness, means nothing to them. 
They desecrated Yom Kippur in what way? Eating Chazor. Yet, when the Nazis came into Warsaw, one or two of these guys, whatever, they brought them into a shul and they commanded them to burn the ark, to set the ark with the Sefer Torah ablaze. And they absolutely refused. These same guys who ate pork on Yom Kippur to demonstrate how much they do not care about God and about religion, they were dragged into the shul, they were given matches, and they were told to pour kerosene or whatever on the Aron and light it ablaze. And they refused and they shot them dead. What's going on over here? Is this the same person? Does it make any sense? That's the secret of the Jew. By the Gentile, you don't have something like that. If you have a religious Gentile, then he's a religious Gentile. If the guy is not religious, then he doesn't care. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a place inside of him where he cares. It's either he cares or he doesn't care. But the Jew, even if he doesn't care, deep inside he does care. Because every Jew has a neshama that's a chelek lekaimimah. So as long as you can deceive the person, the person can say, I'm still a Jew even if I violate Yom Kippur. I'm still a Jew even if I eat chazer on Yom Kippur. Even if I eat pork on Yom Kippur, I'm still a Jew, I'm still a Jew. He, he still doesn't feel it. But when you're telling him to light that he himself should burn the Torah, that he can't do because then you're crossing the red line. Then you're poking him in his, in his, in his, in his inner nucleus of his neshama and you want to snip his soul off from God that he can't do. That he can't do because he's a Jew. Every Jew is a Jew and he can't do that. The problem is that we have to remember that we also have that. All of us. But we do not want to be severed from Hashem. Avil, as he says, but to become severed from God's unity. Even the most lightheaded of lightheaded. Moiser nafshoy al kiddush Hashem. Is Moser Nefesh. Gives his life up. Machmas Teva Nafshoi. It's natural to our soul. Neir Hashem Nishmas Adam. The flame of God. The candle of God is, this, is the soul of man. Kener Hadoilek. It's like a candle that's burning. Shashaleves Oilamaalel. And what he's saying is it's like a, a Jew is compared, an Hashem is compared to a candle. Just like a candle goes up. Why is a candle going up? There's no explanation. It just, that's its nature. It goes up. And the Alter Rebbe takes the Marshall and Perikutes and Tanya even further. That the flame, if it was to have its, if it was to have its, if it was to have its way, meaning if the wick would not be holding it down, it would escape. Where would it go? It would go back up to its source, which is the source from where fire comes from. And when it goes up there, what happens to it? It ceases to exist. It just melts into its source. But yet that's what it wants. Why does it want that? Can't explain it. Generally, everything wants to retain its existence. Fire wants to lose its existence. And that's why a neshama is compared to fire. Because at the core of what drives a Jew to give his life up to, is, it, is the deepest, it's the yearning within the neshama to return into its source and to be one with God. And to become separated from God, it doesn't want that. It can't bear, not just don't want it. It cannot have that. Believe Tam Vedas without any reason, without any explainable reason. 
Because again, if something, if you want something with a reason, even if you have the most convincing argument that you want something, at least it is debatable. I can give you a counter reason. That means there is negotiation. The point over here is that there is no negotiation. We all know the famous story of the one who made the Nisan Tokev. On, on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is coming up soon. We're going to say, the Ashkenazim at least, in their machzer, there's a famous piyut, a famous piece of the davening called Nisan Tokev. It talks about the greatness of Rosh Hashanah. Who will live and who will die and who will this and who will that. The famous piece, it's like the highlight of the prayer in Nisan Tokev. It was made by a famous person, a big sage in Germany called Rabbi Amnon. And they say the story is told about Rabbi Amnon is the one that he composed it. He was, during the time of the Crusaders, I think it was, um, or sort of the, maybe later, whatever, the, 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 the king had um, called him and whatever. I think he had a debate with the, with, the, with the priests. They had an argument. Those days they used to have many debates. Jews versus the priests. He won the debate, but the king was very angry because they won the debate. And they gave him a choice. Either he converts or he's put to death. And he said, I need three days to think about it. Then when he came home, he realized that um, what a terrible thing he did. That he said, I need three days to think about it. We need to think about it. What kind of question? I need three days? I'll tell you right now. There's no way. Nothing to talk about. The fact that he said, so then he asked the king, he said, the tongue that, that said that I have three days, cut my tongue off. He asked for whatever. They, they tortured him to death. But before that, on, I think he wrote the Nisana Tokev as a, uh, so the point over here is that there's nothing to talk about. It's not even a question. It's not a choice that I'm making because of something I want. It's not that I want. I cannot, I cannot not. It's very different when you want something or if you, you want meaning you and it are still two things and I can want it. I don't even want. It's just who I am. He says, believe Tam Vedas, Elishimus. Oh, but the problem is, if if we all have if this is who we are, so how come are we how come we're so flippy floppy and flimsy in our Yiddish guy? Ella, he says, Shuhumusteras. This essential Nishama connection that we have to God is obscured. Umachusen, it's covered up. Bilavush sak with sack clothing, with a heavy, dense, dense garment, who are gufa gashmi, that's the physical body. And the physical body desensitizes us that we don't know what we ourselves want in our deepest core. We feel our body urges, we don't feel our soul's consciousness. That's what I spoke about earlier. That maybe 2% of our neshama we sense, but we're not really feeling. Our consciousness is more of our physical consciousness. Umimeno, and from this animal, and from the body, Baha, Ruachstus, comes the spirit of, impure, of, of, of foolishness. That's what I mentioned earlier. That if you were to come to the Nishama itself and try to deceive it, you couldn't do that. You could never deceive it. It can smell right away if it's becoming disconnected. But since the Nishama is in a body, the body causes such a density that it's possible to. But when a person does evoke the love, 
When you do evoke your neshama, and we're soon going to see how can you evoke this love? How do you bring it out? But when, when a person does come into contact and does feel, now generally for a regular Jew, you know, when, you know how you provoke this love? Only when the person is given a test, like we spoke about earlier, like in the Warsaw Ghetto, when they took these Jews and told them to burn the Sefer Torah. That's when the Goy, the Nazi, provoke this love. But when it's provoked, the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya and Perikut Ches, it's like a fire, like a blazing fire, and it's going to burn every klipa. Nothing in the world can even begin to enter in and to stop the neshama from its burning inferno of being unified with God. Nothing to talk about. Shoot me, kill me, torture me, do anything you want for me. There's nothing to talk about. This is what I am. The Rebbe is going to explain that we're able to evoke this love even without chas v'sholem a Nazi or a crusader. To the wants to go out of its garment, if a person does evoke this love and reveal this madness of his soul, this deep, we're supposed to do this every day by davening. We're supposed to evoke within ourselves, bring forth, peel away, peel away the consciousness of the body and allow the consciousness of the soul to shine. When we do come into, when we do reveal this in ourselves, you know what happens to us? We become insanely observant. Insanely observant. To the point that we become so cautious over little tiny things. And people say, you know what? You're so crazy. Relax. So what? It's kosher. Why are you so scared? People that are, and I know people that way. I know I'm not that way, but I know people that are that way. That, you know, they don't eat in any kosher restaurant. Even if it's kosher. It's kosher. They're worried. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, relax. It's kosher. And if you do sin, and most people say, and if it's not kosher, it's not my problem. It's the rabbi's problem. The rabbi gave the heksher. <laughs> That's if you're not in touch with the insanity of your soul. But when you're in touch with the insanity of your soul, the mere possibility of possibility that you might be eating something that's not kosher is so frightening. Because why? Because it's not about me becoming dirty. It's about me becoming severed from God, even for a split second. If I'm eating something that's not kosher, who cares whose fault it is? If I'm eating something that is not kosher, who cares? So why would I take the risk? Why would I take the risk? He says a person who's in touch with this dimension of his neshama becomes what's called a yiras chet. A yerechet. What's a yerechet? A yerechet means a super, super sensitive person who, is, who keeps away from every chashash to chashash to chashash, from the possibility of possibility of possibility of a sin, even in the most remote cases. Generally, we call this like a fanatical religious person, like it's like over the... Over the but, but there are people that way. And it, and it comes because they're in touch with this dimension in their neshama. As he says, there is shaloi laver, and it causes them not to transgress. Even on some very minor rabbinic, even on a minor rabbinic, um, a minor, minor rabbinic um, prohibition. It's like light. It's Ki chamurim divrei soifrim yoisim divrei Torah. 
because the words are the scribes. Because a lot of times people say, ah, it's only the rabbis made an extra. Okay, so that's of course if, if you don't care. But if you really care, it's not just what's min Torah, even what's rabbinic, and even what the rabbis themselves say is only an extra stringency. They're so, so careful. Someone who is a yerei chet. And that's the point. You cannot be a yerei chet from if your relationship to God is rational. If it's based on reason and logic, then there's always room for rationalization. People rationalize everything. I'm keeping this, but these are like extra stringencies I don't have to keep. Real Hasidic Shiyidin, Hasidic Jews that were Emes Hasidic Shiyidin, were medaktek and sofrum and every little tiny thing of Shulchan Aruch, even the most, even though you can have a lot of leniencies. Why? It's because of this fanaticism. Fanaticism. I don't, I can't. Shalich, but, and he says, because don't dismiss rabbis' things because. The sages say that in some ways the words of the scribes, which are the rabbinic things, are more severe even than the words of Torah. That's why they're called sofrim. Sofrim means scribes. He's now going to give a word about how sensitive one needs to be about, the, about what the rabbi said. Because he's talking over here, let's remember. He's talking about over here being careful and cautious not to do an aver. So there's one thing, being careful and cautious not to do an aver and not to violate an absolute din, or going beyond the letter of the law and even looking for the most, for the most subtleties of subtleties and being very careful. So he said, now he's going to explain like that, that taking the rabbi seriously, because really in truth, the rabbis were in touch with the most sensitive nuances of God. Most people think that the rabbis, okay, they just made extra stringencies because they want people shouldn't do an Avera. But he's going to explain, no. The root of the rabbinic ordinances and rabbinic prohibitions runs very deep in God and it's touching upon a very, very sensitive place. And a violation on the rabbis is really is causing a big, a serious disconnect. See, when the sages want to say that the words of the rabbis need to be taken seriously, they say, It is more chamur, it is more stricter, the words of sofrim, the words of the scribes, more than the words of the Torah. They use the word sofrim. Now what does a sofer mean? A sofer is a scribe. So hear this, hear the Gavaldekite of it. What does it mean? Why are they using the words of the scribes? I understand that the sages are called maybe scribes, but why do this, they dafka use the term scribe when they want to speak about how that, that their words need to be in some ways taken more seriously even than explicit laws of the Torah? Why? In Sefer Yetzirah it says, in Sefer Yetzirah it says that Hashem created the world with three things. Besofer, Besefer, with a scribe, with a book, and with a story. So what does this mean? So you say simply like this. The story is... Okay. When there was a, when there was a book, there's three things. 
Okay? There is the story being read. You're reading the story. Then there is the book itself. When you're reading the story, you're already interpreting it already according. It's going through, it's filtered your mind. Once it's filtered through your mind, it's not the same story like the stories in the book. Because everybody perceives something in their own slant. When I read a book and you read the book, we're reading two different books. You're taking what you're taking out of it, I'm taking what I'm seeing the whole story through my lens and you're seeing it through your lens. Everybody sees it differently. The book, however, itself is truer to the original, right? Because it's the book. That is the thing itself. It's not the perception of it, it's the book. But deeper than the book is what? The author of the book. Because even the book is only words. It's the author from where it came from. So we say like this. The wor- it says God looked at the world, looked at the Torah, and He created the world. The world is a story. The Sipur. What's the book? That's the Torah. Torah is the Sefer, the book. But then there's the author of the book. The author of the book is not in the Torah. It's higher than the Torah. The rabbis are called the words of the scribes. Because the rabbis, they, they, they dug deeper into God than the Torah. The Torah is called the book. The rabbis are called the author of the book. In other words, the rabbis knew not only what God said, but God what, but what God wanted to say. Sometimes you read a book and you know what, what is written, but if you really know the author, you know what they meant, not only what they wrote. That's why the rabbis were able to come up. Simply, simply think people think, ooh, the rabbis, they were like, they're, 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 they're so fanatical, they're way over. They, they, they put all these restringencies and restrictions, like, come on. It sometimes looks like they were, um, like they were, um, what do you call it, um, obsessive compulsive, over overreacting. They did so many. The rabbis were so sensitive to the nuances of what God really wants. So in Torah Shabbal Peh, they revealed much more than what is written, really written in Torah Shabbat. What the Abish's intentions are. That's why, now that the Alter Rebbe is saying, when someone really is in touch with their, what we call, Yechidosh Ebenefesh, when someone's Yiddishkeit is not coming from their mind, but when someone's Yiddishkeit is coming from their soul, and from their essence of their soul, from the place of attachment, they become so observant, and so madly, madly observant, that every little detail of Torah is so significant to them, and particularly what the scribes say. Because what the scribes say, are, are that's really digging into the author itself, into God himself. And therefore, if I don't listen to the scribes, I'm, the disconnect is on the deepest level. Is in where the Abishter himself, in God's heart, like disconnecting over what Hashem's intentions were. It's a disconnect. So then the Alter Rebbe is bringing that Yirei Chet, that a person that being Yerei Chet is related to Yechidosh HaBenefesh. And then he brings the whole idea of the scribes. It's not just to tell us that even the words of the scribes, we have to be careful. Dafka the words of the scribes. Because that's even deeper than the express. There is what he wrote in the book, and then there is the author itself. See, if a Jew, this is very important, because I think this is the whole idea of being a chassid. This is the, this is all of chassidus is in this. All of chassidus is in this. Mamish. All, everything in the Baal Shem Tov and everything in Hasidus is right here in what we're learning right now. 
if you're in, if you're into Yiddishkeit because you want to be a good person and you want to fulfill your obligation or you want to go to the world to come, then you can pick and then you know you check off. This is like a biblical commandment. This is a big thing. Over here, there's room to be makol. Over here, there's room to be makol. I can be lenient in this and be lenient in this and lenient because, because you know what? This is after all in in the scoreboard of checks and minuses. You're going to get a pass. You're going to go in the other world, they're going to say, oh, what a tzaddik, perfect. But if your Yiddishkeit is not about you being a tzaddik or being a good person or about this, but what you care about is that you want to be one with God. And what frightens you, chas is the thought of thought that there might be something I'm doing that is not exactly in Hashem's deepest interest. It's like mm, Hashem is frowning upon it because it's against, like it's rubbing him wrong, even if it's not a prohibition stated in the Torah, even if it's, but it's just not that thought I can't bear. That's Chassidus. Chassidus is about the relationship. It's about the connection to God. Your Yiddishkeit is coming because of my connection to the Abishter. It's not about, you know, whether I'm going to be right or wrong, or good or bad. It's about my connection. And that's why he says, extra caution to what the sages say. Because the sages are attached to the author, not just to the book. They said what was not written in the book because they're familiar with God, because they knew God very well. Even more than what God expressed in the Torah, the sages, because Yidn are higher than the Torah, their neshamis were able to feel what God did not write in the book. It's like sometime you have, you know, there's certain, you go to, you go to a certain place or you're in a certain environment and there's rules and regulations. Or in a company, there's certain rules and regulations of how you have to conduct yourself. And then you have a certain employee who becomes very, very friendly with the vice president. And the vice president or the president tells him that you should know the boss of the company, he really dislikes when you do so and so. Oh, it's not written in the, in, the, in the books. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I know the boss. And I'm telling you that he dislikes this. And he really, really likes so and so and so, if you do so and so and so. So this employee who wants to find favor in the eyes of the boss himself, not, it's not about, so then it's not about the regulations, what it says in the book, the code of conduct. It's much more than the code of conduct. It's I have inside information. That's what the sages have. The sages have inside information about what pleases God and what displeases him. Someone who's in touch with this desire of his nefesh to be unified with God takes these nuances very seriously. As he says, The sofer is the one that wrote the book. That's Torah Shabbal The woman of valor that is the crown of her husband, even higher than her husband's high, because Torah Shabbat is called the woman, she's the recipient, but really she's higher than her husband, she's the crown, she's related to a deeper dimension. He brings over here the Tzemach Tzedek, which I'm going to... Now I'm going to skip this one. Now this love to God, this fanatical love of the Jew... This is the, this is the thorn of, on top of the yud, shalshem avaya of the name avaya. Ki akoyt sha'ala yud pein alamayla. 
because the kites, the thorn that's on top of the yud is pointing upward. The is it's in indicating What's the idea? The yud is already a point. It's a definable something. It doesn't have much shape and form, it's just a point. But at least it's already something. The point on top of the yud, the thorn on top of the yud, is just hinting to something. It's not even a point. It's just saying there's something unknowable. So it's referring to the Ain Sof himself, the God himself, that doesn't have any description whatsoever, that you can't define with any definition. It's God himself. Inside the soul, there is also a part in us that's just one with God himself, that has no definition and no explanation. We can't explain why. Why I, I want... Why I'm, I'm drawn to... It's just, I can't explain it. I don't even know what it is. I just know this is the way it is. It's higher than any whatsoever kind of grasp of understanding. There's no thought grasp. See, the Yud Kei Vav Kei, the, 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 the Yud, the Hey, the Vav, the K, these are already Hashem revealing Himself in a certain way. Hashem reveals Himself. Hashem reveals Himself in Chachma. Hashem assumes a certain personality in Bina, that we can have some understanding in him. Hashem expresses himself in the six emotions of the Vav. Finally, as a king, Malchus, that's the Yud Kei It's God as he manifests and projects himself with a certain personality. But that's not Hashem himself. On Hashem himself, the Zohar says, no thought can grasp him. He's beyond any. That's what the Koitzshel Yud is indicative of. It's pointing to something high, indescribable, unknowable, and it's not even a letter. It, the point is that it's... I, I, don't, I just want to tell you that there's something higher, but I don't know anything about that being that's higher. I can't even give him any kind... I can't even say that he is, because that's, that's a point. I, I, it's exactly it. it. It just is. The neshama senses that. The reality of all realities. And neshama just... And the neshama can't separate from that. And that's this insat, that's this ins, that's this, that's really basically the underlying power behind all expressions of our soul. If we have love to Hashem, we have fear, we have, these are all expressions. But what's beneath it all? An undefiable, an undefinable oneness. There's no words for it. An undefinable attachment. Of neshama to the essence, from essence to essence. And all before God is nothing. Because God says, I haven't changed. On that level, creation is nothing. So this love in the neshama also, it's without any explanation. It's because of the dwelling of the Ein Sof, Hamelubish Bechachma. It's because God dwells in the Neshama. Hashem Himself dwells inside the Neshama. Hashem enlivens the Neshama. It's beyond all understanding. And that's why this, part, this Neshama. It's drawn and cleaves to God on its own, meaning without anything to prompt it. It doesn't need a reason. It just is. The only thing is, as we said earlier, we don't feel it. 
It's there, but we don't feel it because it's concealed by the body. A person needs to evoke it. How do you evoke it? How do you evoke this simple desire in the neshama to cleave to God? Through contemplation. Through learning Hasidus and contemplating. But contemplation is not really what it is because contemplation isn't understanding. You're using your mind. But over here is like this. You use your mind to understand as much as you can understand, to inspire as much as you inspire. But the point over here is you're digging and digging and digging and digging until suddenly this part of your neshama opens up and it reveals itself to you. In other words, it's not your seichel that's doing it. It's the fact that you're digging into yourself. You're opening up. You're boring holes in your, in your thickness, in your density. You're boring holes. And at a certain point, the water that's beneath it will come forth. But it's not like you're creating that water. That water just is. So here's the thing. A person uses meditation as an instrument and tool to unclog. But once you unclog, something much deeper takes over. And that's this pure, this pure, inexplainable love that your neshama has to Hashem that will appear out of nowhere. That's the point. When it appears, it appears out of nowhere. And the love to Hashem is beyond all reason. And what does it do? And that, but when we evoke this every day, then as we said before, that, that brings a person to yiras chet, to fear of sin. Fear of sin means the possibility that I'm going to do an Avera is so frightening because I do not want chas v'sholem to be severed that I'm, going to be, that, I'm going to, that I'm going to watch out be so super, 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 super careful in everything. That's why it's interesting. Chazal say, kol sheyiras chet koidemes l'chachmasai. It comes before my chachma. Why do they say chachmasai miskayemes? Say, just say, anybody whose fear of sin comes before his wisdom his wisdom will hold. What do they mean it comes before? Comes before doesn't only mean in, in, in time. It comes first. It means that it's in a deeper level in their neshama. Because chachma is already, as we said before, is already cognition, mental cognition, understanding. It's where you understand and appreciate your relationship to God. You love God because of a reason. But here we're dealing much deeper in your soul. You love God because this is who you are, not because of any reason. It's, it's a, it's the, in Hasidus it explains it's the keser of your neshama, not your chachma. Keser comes before chachma. It's deeper than chachma. It's higher than chachma. And when we uncover this love to God, this, cause, this reveals God's love to us also on the same level. So God also doesn't listen to us, doesn't listen, doesn't listen to the satan. That anybody who wants to say any lodge, any complaint against the Jewish people, God doesn't even listen. Don't even bother me. Because my love to them is irrational. So even if you're going to give me all explanations, there's nothing to talk about. If I love them because of a reason, we can debate. If I love them without any reason, then, then, then don't even talk to me. Hashem's love to us is also beyond all explanation and all reason. This is tool what we're going to learn this week. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, still exhausted from uh, this whole week of traveling and everything. But I do want to read the Tzemach Tzedek little piece over here, the Haggah. And we'll continue next week.
this idea that the that the kutzei shel yud, the the thorn of the yud, this is the um, this is indicative of this level. So he plains it's a, it's a it's a pretty long hagah, but ha'inyan kine ain't safe baruchum etzad atzmai. It explains because God the ain't sof on his own loishayach lekroisay b'shum shem klal. The ain't sof you can't give it a name because every name is a description. You can't call somebody by a name. Something that you can define. You give it a name, and the name defines what it is. Something you can grasp. The name says it's like this and not that. Tall, not short. White and not black. Dark and not light. Red and not blue. Right? Any name, and it's all description. But on God Himself, the lace machshav atvisabein, no thought can grasp Him. Klal shayach by Shem Klal doesn't have a name. I, if so, why is God called Havaya? Why is Hashem called Yudkei Vavke? The Indian Shenikra Havaya, who mitzad hamshacha. Havaya is not God Himself. Havaya is already as Hashem is being mamshech His energy. Hashem is is drawing forth an energy that's going to serve as a, as a platform for his relationship with the world, that's the name. And that's already definable. Hashem presents himself in certain images in a certain form. He's drawn, the word Yudke Vavke comes from the word Mahave. Mahave means to bring beingness, to bring existence into existence. He already draws from the Ein Sof. That's not the Ein Sof. He draws forth from the Ein Sof, that's the name, Yud, K, Vav, K. That itself has many levels. Yud is the, the initial projection of Chachma. Then it becomes a hey, gets more design, more features, more description. Then it becomes a Vav, becomes another hey. For whatever reason, we're not getting into why it works that way. But the whole idea is that Yud, K, Vav, K is already expression. It's not the essence. bina, chesed, gevura. Until you get to Malchus. He brings it in beautiful words of the Zohar. That God is not called even Havaya. Or definitely not the other names. Only in God's expansion. But not in who He is. When His light is expands and radiates. That's when he gets names. But when God draws away from the spherot, from the attributes, he's again nameless. When Hashem pulls himself back into himself, on his own, he has no name. And therefore. So now, so now we know that God himself has no name at all. Then there is when he defines himself, his espashtus to become the life force of creation, he has various names. Yud Kevavke. But now he's going to explain what's the medium. There has to be a medium between no name and ye name. Higavalding. There has to be a medium between no name and ye name. Between non description and ye description. Everything has a mamutza, everything has a medium. A mediator. What's the mediator? The kutsai shel yud, the thorn on top of the yud, that's the level that's in between the no name and the yeah name. That's what Kesser is about. Kesser is, God is not Kesser. God is infinitely transcends Kesser. Kesser is the medium between Sephirot, which are Hashem's names already, attributes, 
definable godliness, and Hashem Himself. In the middle, there is a keser. And that's the kutsay shal yod. And he's going to explain it now. Elchein, therefore, kadei liyas hamshacha me'ein soif baruchu. In order that there should be a hamshacha fem be'ein soif. The lav mekol inon midos klal, which Hashem is not any of these midos, liyas nimshachu maslabesh, that he should draw down and invest himself. Bibchinas chachma, in chachma. Liyas ant chachim, that we should be able to say about him that you are wise, which is already description. In order to be able to define God and say midos, which this is the idea of the four letters of the Shema Vaya, there has to be a middle level. And that's the Kutsay Shal Yud. What is the Kutsay Shal Yud? This is Gvaldi. There's such beautiful words here. The Kutsay Shal Yud, we say, see, Yud Kevavke is already called Yesh. Yesh meaning it's already something. Yes, that's why when you're writing Yud Kei you're already giving it ink. Yud is already a dot. It's 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 you have ink on the on the Sefer Torah. That's the Yud. It's a point. It's already something. The hey, the Yud is become the thing is becoming more of a designable something. It's not just a point. You're expanding the point and you're giving it design and shape. It's more of a something. You're making it more and more. We're saying, but that that the that the, the something which is called yesh comes from ayin. Yesh me ayin. What's the ayin? So it's gavaldic. Ayin is not God himself. Because the yesh, the yesh of, of, of the yud kei of the sefirot, cannot emerge from God's absolute simplicity directly. What has to happen is like this. Before the Ein Sof can emerge as a Yud, as a K, as a Vav, and as a He, which is Chachma Bina, the attributes, he first has to emanate a general, a general life force, a pure light that doesn't have any definitions yet. But that light that doesn't have any definitions is already a source to the defined, put it this way, it's already, that light went, away, went already away from him. He himself cannot even be a source for the spherot. So he emanates a pure, simple light that that light is called ayin because it doesn't have yet any shape, design, and form. But that at least is going to be a, 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 a platform, a something from which we can begin to make shapes and forms. And that's called ayin. It's called Ayin for two reasons. To God Himself, to the real Ein Sof, this is only a ray. It's Ayin, it's nothing. It's also called Ayin because to the recipients, to the, to, to the Yud Kevavke, it's also unknowable. It's still Ayin. It's still unknowable. But this is not the Abishter Himself. This is already our art. This is the Keser. It's a pure, simple light. He says over here, Vichem. Um, that's what we mean. Chochma comes from ayin, from nothing. The chochma is the yud. Hanimshach is drawn from the kutsay shal yud. I'll give an example. When Hashem made the four elements, mineral, I'm sorry, Fire, wind, water, and earth. Esh, ruach, mayim, and ofar. 
Mavur be'etz chayim sharmim aleph. So it says in etz chayim, if in the Arizal, perigimel, ki koydim shabara hadalad yesodos that before Hashem made the four yesodos, bara chaymar echad he created one substance hanikra hayuli that's called. It's not fire, it's not water, it's not wind, and it's not earth, but it's the source. It's something already. The Ramban says that that's what it means, Bereshah's burrow. When Hashem created, He created, it's not absolute nothing anymore. It's something there that from this something can come fire, wind, water. It's that, it's the, it's the undefined something that's going to be the source of from where everything is made from. It has the root of all four Yesoides, in potential, but not in actuality. It doesn't have yet an image. Afterwards, from there come all the four Yesodos. The same as above. Don't have any Erech to the Ein in order for Hashem to manifest Himself in Chachma, first is drawn Kesar. What's the Kesar? What's the Ayin? What's the Kutzish Yud? It's a Ratzon. God has a will to make Chachma, a will to make Bina, a will. It's the will. Before that, there's no will for it even. Once there is a will, there is a ratzon. The ratzon is not defined yet. It's just a will for chachma. It's a will for bina. But the, the will itself is not chachma. It's not bina. It's a, it's a want that there should be chachma. Ah, oh, but you're already dealing, but every year, you're already closer to chachma because you have already a desire for chachma. And that's the keser. Keser is the will for the spherot before the spherots are here already. That's why it doesn't have a letter. See, whenever you have a letter, what does a letter mean? A letter means already you can define it by a certain letter. This doesn't have a letter. We're only saying, we're pointing to it. We're saying there is something there, but I don't know what it is. That's, that's, what, it, that's what the, it's a symbol. Since it itself is nothing, that's why all we have is a thorn, which also is not a letter. It's just nothing. It's just... And that's why it's pointing upwards. And that is drawing from the Ein Sof. See, the Kesar is the Kutzer Shal Yud. And above that is the Ein Sof himself. That, doesn't, that you can't even make a symbol on. You know nothing about. Oh, so the same is also by us. Here's a Gavaldi. This that we say that every Jew has a desire to cleave to God beyond reason, that desire is not your essence. The mere fact that it's a desire to cleave, even if it's an irrational, completely beyond explanation desire, it's already an expression of your soul. It's not the soul itself. The soul itself is just one with God. It's just one with Him. That's the Yechida. That's, the, that's, that's one with the Eberstein. Then you have an expression of that that's this irrational desire that we have to evoke. That's the kutzay shal yud. That's bringing this into consciousness. That you have a desire to be connected. And then after that, you have a whole spiritual buildup of soul, which is chachma, bina. 
הנה כמוי כן בנפש אדם, דכסיס חלק הוויה אמוי, שיש בוי מבחינת דלת אוסיוס אלו, הוויה כדל כמון. אם כן יש בוי גם כן מבחינת קוצר של יוד, והיינו מבחינת הרוצן ללוקים, it's a desire to God, שלמיילה מטעם ודס המוסיק, that's higher than all understand. That's it. And this, when we evoke this, it evokes by Hashem, as we said also, His irrational love for the Jewish people. Be'ezus Hashem, next week, we're going to learn about the other letters of the Neshama. The Yud, and the He, and the Vav, and the K, and we're going to bring it back to Okay.